Hi everyone, today we have a very special edition of Centerlink's LGBT Wellness Podcast. We are going to be bringing you an interview um, with some friends from LGBT community centers uh, around the country, as well as a representative from the All of Us Research Program. So stay tuned for this special edition of our podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Corey. I use they, them, theirs pronouns, and I'm happy to welcome you to this conversation between Centerlink, the community of LGBT centers, and Justin Henches of the All of Us Research Program. Justin is the Chief Financial and Management Officer and Acting Chief Engagement Officer for All of Us. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Corey. Thanks for having me today. Of course, thanks for being here. Now, before we jump into our conversation, uh, for those of you who are listening and you don't know what the All of Us Research Program is or you're not too familiar with it, this is a groundbreaking effort that began in 2018. And over the course of 10 years, it's aiming to collect research data on the health of 1 million plus people living in the US. The program is based on the framework for precision medicine, which is based on individuals. It takes into account factors like environment, lifestyle, and family history. It gives providers more tailored information on what people need, and it gives all of us as individuals information that we need to be healthy. All of us also has a strong focus on diversity and reaching communities that have either been ignored or understudied by research or that are hesitant to participate in research, and that includes LGBT communities. Now, I wanted to read this quote because I think it's really impactful. This is what they say on the website. Quote, all LGBTQ plus Americans deserve to be seen, heard, and understood, especially when it comes to medical research. And I think that resonates with me and, and I'm sure a lot of us that are listening. So by including measures of sexual orientation and gender identity in the study, or what we call SOGI measures, all of us is building a database where we're going to be able to see how LGBTQ people compare to the rest of the population in ways that we've really never been able to do because we don't have this scale of data. So in addition to our conversation with Justin, we also have four LGBTQ community center members here uh, to participate with us this morning. Uh, Centerlink identifies member centers in all of us target markets to engage in outreach, education, and awareness so that they're helping to promote the all of us program and make sure that we're really getting as, as big and diverse of a population as we can. So these centers became part of a network of partner organizations that are basically serving as trusted intermediaries and messengers to their local communities. And today we're lucky enough to have um, participants from these four centers here to help us ask some questions and, uh, and learn more about the program. We have representatives from LGBT Detroit, the Center on Halstead in Chicago, the Brooklyn Community Pride Center, and the Milwaukee LGBT Community Center. So without further ado, uh, let's jump right into our conversation here. Uh, and Justin, how are you and how is your dog Luna doing? <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you. And uh, it's really a pleasure to be here today. Um, and Luna is just fine. Um, she is sassy as ever. Uh, she, she was a rescue dog from North Carolina. And when she first moved to DC, she was very fearful, you know, loud noises, uh, uh, people, the UPS truck, right? And now um, she has learned enough that she is basically in charge of the city. Um, she <laughs> doesn't run from the UPS truck anymore. She, in fact, tried to lunge at it. And I've tried to explain to her that that's the truck that brings us all of the goodies that she gets to eat, but the, the logic just isn't sinking in yet. But, but she's doing very well. Thanks for asking. Well, she's not the first outsider to try to conquer DC. So uh, right. <laughs> um, so what brought you to NIH and specifically to the All of Us Research Program, and why is this work important to you? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, so I've, I've worked, I've lived in D.C. for about 16 years. I, I actually moved here from Wisconsin, um, and I grew up in a very small town in northern Wisconsin. Um, and I got to the NIH and to the All of Us Research Program somewhat by luck. Um, I had a friend that worked at NIH a number of years ago that said, hey, you should, you should apply for a job there. I was lucky enough to get it. And then um, through the course of events, I found myself as the CFO of all of us research. And um, the thing that I find uh, most important or the, the thing that keeps me here um, is the mission, um, you know, really to change the way we do biomedical research so that it is, um, it's open to all that it is uh, respectful of everyone that's participating, 
and that we use the data that people are so generously donating to help communities. Um, you know, I really believe that uh, this program can change the world and can um, help right some of the wrongs that biomedical research has done in the past, especially to communities um, that are underrepresented, um, you know, and that includes uh, communities of color, it includes the LGBTQ community, it includes folks with disabilities, um, it includes rural communities. And I really think that, um, you know, what, what gets me up in the morning is, is the fact that we're going to do this and that other studies are going to follow the way we're doing it and that we're going to have real um, engagement participation. That is Luna. Um, just one second. Uh, this is the, the reality of working from home now, just so exactly. everyone knows my mail was, my mail was just delivered. So that's, <laughs> that's what that was. Um, Good girl. Yeah, sign protection. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so I think that you know we're really going to be able to you know change the way we do this and make sure that communities are represented and are part of um, part of their research going forward. Yeah, I think especially now, as as we'll discuss later on, you know, in, in the time of the pandemic, we've seen how important it is to have data that's representative and inclusive. So um, definitely, really important uh, goals. Um, now, have you had conversations with family and friends uh, to try to, you know, get, get them to engage in the program? And, and what has that been like? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've had conversations um, with, with my family and, uh, you know, have tried to talk to them about why it's important for them to participate. Um, and most of those conversations have gone very well. You know, there is some hesitancy because this is a government program. And so folks, you know, do want to know about well, how are you protecting our data? How are you mm -hmm. making sure that it's only used for these purposes? And so I think, you know, we ha I have conversations with, with uh, you know, my family and, and friends about that. And, you know, in particular, I would say, you know, with kind of my chosen family, right, the folks that I've brought together in my life, um, that, you know, my LGBT, LGBTQ family, really talking to them about why it's important for us to be counted, right? Why it's important for us to be part of this. And, um, you know, I think most of those conversations go very well. And one of the things we want to do as a program is, um, you know, none of this is by force, right? I don't want to come off with a heavy sell to anybody that they have to join the program. It's really about, you know, talking about why the program is important and why it's important to have folks involved. And then it's, it's individual's choice. Um, and, you know, if I can answer questions or help them make a choice, I'm happy to do that. But um, you know, I really want this to be people want to participate because they see the value and they want to make that choice for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times when people choose to participate in research, it's because of a personal connection to the topic, someone they know that's been affected, their community. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of motivation for LGBTQ folks to want to try to advance what we know about our health. Yeah. So um, we're going to take a pause for me asking questions, and we're going to turn things over to our four LGBT uh, Community Center members who are here with us. Um, and we're going to start with Evan at LGBT Detroit. Hello, um, my name is Evan Killingsworth. I am a program coordinator and the volunteer engagement specialist at LGBT Detroit. I'm so happy that you guys let me come on here and talk and, you know, represent you know, the community that I am here for. Um, I'd like to ask a question. I know we just said we're, we're out of the questions, but um, uh, there's some things that are kind of burning on my mind. Uh, um, we often, we know often that the LGBT community among many other minority groups does not uh, trust public health research. How is leadership keeping this program um, honest, humble, and focused on the populations at hand? As well as how are you um, helping to build trust in and accountability within the program and beyond? Yeah, Evan, thanks. That's a great question. Nice, nice to meet you as well. Um, uh, you know, you're right. Um, the LGBT community and, and, um, and other communities uh, in this nation don't trust research um, and, and may not trust public health. Uh, officials, and I think for some good reasons, right? We have not, all the, the research community has not always treated um, 
uh, marginalized communities in positive ways, right? And, and I think we have not treated folks with respect and dignity in the past. And for all of us, that's one of the things that we want to be able to do and we, and we need to do. Because while um, the law authorizes us for 10 years, we're building a program that we want to have exist for, for decades and for, for lifetimes. And to do that, we have to build trust. Um, we have to you know, build relationships from the ground up. And I think that you know, one of the ways we do that first is all of our participants are our partners in this journey. Um, we do refer to our participants as patients. We don't refer the, to them as research subjects or anything like that. They are, they are our participants and they are our partners. Um, you know, folks are giving uh, their data to us. And that's a, to me, that's kind of a sacred um, gift that they're giving and something that we really need to respect. And so I think that starting from that point of respecting the gift that our participants are giving to us um, and giving to the world, um, because we're gonna use their data um, to, to you know, solve complex health problems. Um, to me, that's the first step. And then I think that, you know, after that, looking at building trust, that takes time. And so really we want to work with organizations like Centerlink um, to build trust with the community, to talk to folks about why biomedical research is important, um, to be brutally honest about the missteps that medical research has done in the past um, around the LGBT community and other communities. And then to talk about how all of us is, is, is different and how we're trying to make it different. Um, and I think, you know, talking with community groups and, and getting um, partnerships with folks like Centerlink and, and the uh, relationships they have with LGBT centers across the country is one, one way we can do that. Um, another way is we need to listen. So a lot of the times I think, um, you know, folks, uh, and having been in D.C. for this long, I can say it, like folks in D.C. sometimes think we need to go out and tell the rest of the country what, what's the thing to do. And that's not true. We need to listen. And we need to be able to say, uh, you know, get, get, get input onto, into our decisions. And so, you know, we do the things like sharing information via newsletter or via text, uh, you know, social media, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so we, we're getting the word out that way, but importantly, we need, we need to get input from our participants and from our potential participants. And so we've made sure that our participants are involved in um, all of our awardee partners. Um, many of our awardee partners have uh, community or participant advisory boards. And so these are where community folks can sit and advise the awardee on the direction of what the awardee is doing for the program. We also have a national participant ambassador program where we have uh, folks from across the country that advise um, the national program on what we're doing. We have our participants in a variety of our different governance uh, committees, um, whether that be our science committee that really tries to set the scientific direction of the program um, that includes our, as I said, our participant ambassadors. It will include some of our other committees around what type of data we collect and how we collect it. Um, and so we want to get input from participants because that makes the program better. Um, and, and it allows us to really honor that uh, gift that the, the participants are giving to us. Hi, I'm Jolie Holloman with Center on Halstead. I'm the Senior Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion there. And I have another question for you, if you're ready. And sure. thanks for that yeah. eloquent answer though to Evan's question. Um, when you talk about the partners and the participants and the partnership that you're creating, um, we, one question we have is about privacy though. So when it comes to privacy, um, especially for those who may not be 100% out, what does that look like? Uh, as, we, as you all move forward, how does that look? How does the privacy look? Yeah, Jolie, that's a great question. I mean, that, that is, and it's, it's, it's incredibly important for the LGBT community. It's incredibly important for, for other communities that, again, have, have not been treated well by biomedical research in the past. And, and so 
Um, it's privacy is and security are one of our top core values. And um, we do have all of our core values on our website and we are holding ourselves to those every day. And, and we expect the community and our participants to hold us to that as well. Um, you know, as we look at, at privacy in particular, um, when participants sign up for the program, they, they do so through joinallofus.org, and they do need to give some contact information. What happens is we take that contact information, and that, that is seen by only a very small group of people. Um, what happens is all the other information is, is coded, um, so the participant gets a number, and then everything else the participant uh, gets is related to that number. So when we're submitting, when the data goes to our data and research center, and importantly, when it goes, when researchers get it, they can't come back and try to sell or identify the participant. Um, you know, so they might get, this is participant number one or number 237, um, but they, they can't get to, this is Justin or this is Jolie, right? Like they can't, they're not gonna be able to do that. We also, though, besides having the technical pieces there to protect, we also um, collect information about our researchers. And by law, we're, um, we're required to publish some of that information about the researchers that are coming in and the type of research projects they're doing. And I think that also will help us with some community policing, if you will, of to make sure that researchers are using this resource for the right reasons. And, um, we also have our researchers, they have to sign uh, agreements of, uh, uh, to, uh, they take a specific ethics training, and then they also sign an agreement that they're gonna abide by the rules of the research platform, including not trying to identify any of the participants. And if we find out that they're breaking this, we remove their access. Um, they can't get access to the data anymore. One of the things that we did with the with this program that's unique um, to, uh, to other programs is the researchers can't download the data. All of this exists on the cloud. And so if I'm a researcher sitting in DC, I can't download data onto my desktop. Um, I have to work with it in the cloud. And so I think that's another piece that we put in that helps protect the privacy uh, of our participants. It also allows for then uh, other researchers to use that same data set to validate the, the conclusions that researcher A may have drawn. And so we think this is a place where we can also um, see kind of the democratization of research that sure, things still are gonna be published in journals and all of that, but, but the data is gonna be there for other people to then go and look at and say, hey, did this person really find this out? And let's validate that, or let's look at it from a different angle. Thanks. Hello, my name is Jerry and I'm the events and volunteer coordinator at the Milwaukee LGBT Community Center. And my question today is, how do you think that this research program will help improve health and wellness in the LGBTQ community? Thanks, Jerry. And uh, as a connection, I lived in Milwaukee for a couple of years uh, between college at UW-Eau Claire and moving out to, uh, out to um, DC. And my sister and her family actually live in Wauwatosa. So non-pandemic times, they go back to Milwaukee, you know, once or twice a year, but it's been a, it's been a while. So uh, good to see you. Um, so as far as your question, you know, uh, kind of to what I've said before, I think, you know, LGBTQ folks have been left out of medical research. Um, and when we are included, we're not necessarily included in a way that's respectful to us as, as individuals and, and as a community. And, you know, many, many studies have been harmful. Um, many, many people have been harmed by medical research, but also some of the medical research has been used, you know, in negative, in ways to harm our community, um, where people have taken some of the findings and, and made uh, extrapolations of them to, to say that LGBTQ folks are like whatever the finding really wasn't, wasn't right? Um, and so what, we, what we're thinking about with this program is we wanna make this data available to as many researchers as possible in a, very, in a, in a way that protects the privacy and security of the, the, the participants. 
And it allows for some of that community um, regulation of the type of research that folks are doing. And, and to do that, though, we need people involved. We need um, LGBTQ folks to be part of this research. And I think um, what is important from my vantage point as a gay man is that I'm tired of not being counted. Um, and, and as a gay white man, I'm counted more than a lot of other members of the LGBT community. And I think that, that we have to stand up and say, no, we're gonna be counted and, and we're gonna be respected when we're counted. Um, and I think that um, the studies that we're going to be able to do through the All of Us Research Program and by having LGBTQ folks involved um, are really going to help us lead the tailored approaches for, for LGBTQ folks, right? So that um, we, can, we can really look at delivering precision medicine for our communities. Um, and so, you know, understanding the, the way that the light, that, that, socioeconomic, plus um, genetics, plus environment, plus, you know, other lifestyle factors like where you're living, right? Like not just the environment you're living in, but, um, you know, the type of housing you're in or the type of, um, you know, community support that you have, those type of things. I think if we put all of that data together, we're going to be able to make some discoveries that then when, when we as individuals walk into our doctor's offices, they're going to be able to treat us as individuals and not as a statistical group. Um, and I, I'm really, I'm excited for what this program can bring for communities that have been left behind. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of our, our, our goals has been to really make sure we have representation from underrepresented communities. Uh, 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 communities. And I think that the more folks we have from those communities, um, the, the better the research is going to be and the more impactful it's going to be for everybody. Hi, I'm Jerry Keyes from uh, Brooklyn Community Pride Center, uh, and I'm the development engagement manager there. Um, very nice to meet you. Um, you know, to the, the points you've been making about uh, the LGBTQ plus community being left out of a lot of uh, biomedical research or treated badly in all of them, uh, I, I think in recent years, we've seen that one of the reasons they get left out is because researchers may not know how to ask about sexual orientation and gender identity. And, and you know, uh, certainly there is some research out there, but given the scale of all of this, uh, of all of us, um, have you been learning about what works and what doesn't? And do you think it will help set standards for the biomedical research industry in the future and, and get researchers past this sort of like, how do we ask this? How do we even bring it up? Yeah, Jerry, that's a, that's a great question. And, and the simple answer is yes. I do think that we're learning um, enough and, and, and we're learning a lot that will be helpful to future researchers and, and to our communities, right? Because it's, it's, it's about the questions that researchers ask and it's about us being able to push back on those sometimes and say, well, that might not have been the right question. Um, so we, you know, for a couple of things that we're doing right now, we're working with Stanford University um, and the Pride Network to uh, deliver sexual and gender minority uh, cultural competency, competency training for all of the folks that work with our program. Um, so these are folks from, you know, folks at the national office like me, um, I've taken it, um, as well as all members of my staff, all the way down to folks that are, you know, at the clinics working directly with participants there. And we think that this, this is something where um, that having that type of training can help folks um, that may be uncomfortable with asking these questions, do some practice to become comfortable. Um, now, uh, as you know, the, the PRIDE study, which is uh, run at Stanford and what we're working at is, is really the first large scale uh, national health study for LGBTQ folks. And so um, we, we really feel that we're partnering with someone that's gonna help um, force us to, to do this right, um, which is a good thing, right? Which is definitely a good thing. And it's gonna help set some standards and make sure that partners, um, you know, feel the participants feel welcome, understood and, and appreciated when they join the program. Now, us doing that, I think is gonna, is helping already at the NIH and um, folks are learning from us 
um, at this stage, which, you know, we're not that old um, as a program. So that's, it's great to see. But we're also taking this um, to, to uh, not beyond our program. We're working with the NIH Sexual and Gender Minority Research Office and other places at NIH um, to, to think about um, what's the, what's the, what are the questions that can help us measure um, sex, gender, and sexual orientation. So we're actually working with the National Academies of Sciences to fund a study um, to bring together experts so that we could start setting some um, standards um, that we can use across research. And I think one of the things that's going to be important is when we get that um, when we get that that consensus study from the National Academies is also then to make sure that we're talking with the community and we're we're really getting input from the community. Um, you know, we can as as experts we can get into the room and come up with you know, what we think are the best questions, but we need to talk with folks and we need to get their, their input. And it, it has got to be folks from, you know, the, the spectrum of the LGBTQ community, right? It can't just be um, folks that look like me. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that we're also working on. And I think our partnership with Stanford and Pride, the PrideNet is really going to help us there. Great. Well, thanks so much to all of our uh, center representatives for participating in the conversation. And um, we'll see, we may have some time later in case you have any follow-up questions. Um, but in the meantime, um, I have uh, several, several more questions for you, Justin. Um, starting sure. with, um, what are the LGBTQ signup numbers and retention numbers? And what's kind of the goal of the program in that respect? Sure. So, our overall goal is that we have um, about 80% of the 1 million identify as underrepresented in biomedical research. And so that 80% includes uh, ethnic and racial minorities, it includes sexual and gender uh, minorities, uh, it, it includes uh, folks from rural areas, it includes folks with disabilities, right? So, um, and, and we are, we, we're there right now. Um, so that's really great. As, as we look at, um, thinking about specifically the LGBTQ community, um, we're at about 1.3% or so that identify as transgender or gender non-binary. And we're at about 6.9%, almost 7% of folks that identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. And so one of the things that, that we, 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 think this, we think this is a good, but we don't think this is great yet. We wanna get more folks that identify as LGBTQ in, in the program. Um, and I think we, um, you know, we wanna make sure that as, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested in is the intersectionality between all of these identities, right? And so we wanna make sure that the folks that we're, you know, that we're getting in, that we have folks that are, you know, transgender people of color, right? Because given everything that is going on in our country today and the way that those folks are treated, we need to make sure that they're, that they're included in this um, so that, that we can have research discoveries that benefit that population. And so we, uh, I think we're doing well. Um, I want us to do better. Um, and to do that, we need help, right? We, we can't do it all from DC. We need folks um, in the communities that can talk about the program and can talk about why it's it's beneficial to sign up if that's what the individual chooses to do. Yeah, the, the point on intersectionality is, is so important because I think, you know, as someone who reads a lot of studies that come out, even when we have LGBTQ studies, a lot of times there's not enough numbers to be able to disaggregate by, by race and ethnicity. And same thing, we get studies on race and ethnicity that are not um, including SOGI identities. So uh, yeah, that's, that's a really important point. Um, and kind of connects well to my next question, which is around uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we've seen a real dearth of data on LGBTQ folks. We know that there are, are big disparities happening with respect to race and ethnicity, um, and we have very little on, on LGBTQ identities um, because they just haven't been included in most of the uh, data that's being collected at the state level. So how could the All of Us program help to fill gaps like that in the future? Yeah, Corey, that's a great question. And let me start by just saying, you know, I, I want to send my sympathies out to everyone who's been affected by this, um, and particularly those folks who have lost, um, you know, members of their families, including including our chosen families, 
right? I, this has hit our communities hard. And, and I'll say that I think it's really unfortunate that we don't have this data at the state level in a way that, that can help us um, understand what that impact really has been. Um, I would say that, you know, just on a higher philosophical level, like I think we should be in every survey and be counted in every uh, public health emergency or non-emergency as possible. I mean, I think that, that you know, if, if we're not counted, it says we don't matter. And I think we all matter. So I, I would hope that as we, you know, move forward in our public health world, that, that uh, uh, you know, LGBTQ folks are always included um, and, and always um, ask, you know, if they're comfortable to identify um, that they are part of our community, because it, it will only make the, the research and, and our response to public health crises better. Um, now, what are, what is all of us doing? So we've, um, you know, we, we paused national enrollment um, back in March of 2020 when, when most of the countries, you know, really started entering their lockdown. For our lockdown, um, and we've slowly been been reopening in-person activities, but but we're doing it we're doing it very slowly because our primary focus is the safety of our participants and the safety of our staff. Um, but during that time, we we've done a couple of things. We launched a survey for our participant called the Cope Survey, which is our COVID-19 participant experience survey, and really that's looking at how COVID-19 has affected individuals. Um, and their communities. And, and it's looking at the physical and mental health effects of this pandemic, because I think it's important to remember, obviously there's folks getting sick and there's a physical aspect of this, but there's a huge mental health piece of this. Um, you know, there's a mental health piece for those of us that aren't able to go outside or, or have to really limit our social interactions. There's a mental health uh, effect here for those that are, you know, frontline workers that have to go in, right? That they, they are required to go in and, and how they're dealing with all that. So we think we're gonna get some really interesting data um, through that survey. Um, and we're hoping that we'll be able to start releasing that data to researchers in the, in the near future. Um, we also partnered with the National Cancer Institute to do some uh, serology testing, so, so uh, testing on blood um, that participants had, had uh, 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 already donated before we paused their national enrollment. And we're hoping to have some, re some research come out of that uh, soon that will talk about where we think the, from our participant base, where we think the, the virus first uh, showed up. And uh, we think that as we start releasing this data to researchers that, and, and coupling this with the, the fact that we have data on LGBTQ folks, um, we think that might help fill some of these gaps. Now, I will say again that, that it's not gonna fill all of them because we should be collecting this data in, in real time when it comes to our public health, uh, uh, public health system. And um, it's unfortunate that that's not a standard. Yeah, although hopefully th this kind of long-term um, effort will help us to, to be more prepared for, for the future, certainly. Um, yeah. Now, what do you see as kind of being the role of LGBTQ community centers? You know, you're, it sounds like there's a lot of different outreach um, that's been happening, especially before the pandemic. Um, so kind of what's, what's the role that, that centers um, can be playing? Yeah, well, so I think the centers play, the, play a primary role. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, the centers, you all know the communities that you're working with and that you're living with. And so I think that um, the, the centers can raise awareness about the program um, and they can do so in a way that, that um, you know, is, addresses and, and is respectful to the community that they're working with them. Because, you know, I think the conversation you have with somebody from, you know, Brooklyn compared to Chicago, compared to Milwaukee, compared to, you know, Fargo or, or wherever, wherever we are is going to be different because the, you know, the needs of the community are, are in some ways based on geography and what's going on in those, those locations. So, um, you know, I think the, the national program, we can provide resources, um, right? We can provide uh, fact sheets and, and messaging and all of those things to, to the, um, to the local sites, but it's the local sites that are having the real conversations um, with members of the community and talking about um, about about the program and and not just the program though. I think it's it's about you know 
working with people to understand why it's important for, for LGBTQ folks to be involved in biomedical research and to, to be involved in their own healthcare. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think that I've seen at community centers and have been appreciative of. And um, one of the values I think uh, that to the program of working with uh, community centers. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, now to pivot a little bit, you, we know that you're a numbers person uh, and that that's been one of your primary roles in this project. Um, so what do you think are kind of the, the economic uh, implications of creating a database like this that's going to be available um, free to researchers? And kind of beyond that, what's the impact for, for the community um, and in the world? Yeah, so I, I am I am by training a numbers guy. Um, so uh, so right now we the 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 uh, research uh, workbench is free. We we're giving researchers free credits right now because we're in our beta phase. Eventually, we don't think that's a long term sustainable model, but we want to make sure that this is uh, this is as cheap as possible, right? Um, for researchers to do this research. We don't want to have this be, um, you know, that only the well-funded institutions can access this database because that doesn't, that doesn't get us uh, to a different point than we already are, mm -hmm. right, in, in research. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's, you know, there's a couple of ways, like, like for research, you know, just to get on the researchers, I think the value of this data is that we're bringing it all together and so researchers don't have to go to different databases, right, to try to pull that together. And so they're able to go to one database, they're able to get the data that they need to do their science. And that's just an efficiency that will help them do more science, right? Um, and it'll help other people check their science, which I think is good. Um, you know, but, but importantly, it's for patients, right? It's for um, people. Um, and right now, you know, we have kind of a for the most part, have a one-size-fits-all solution to the way we um, do medicine. Um, you know, I, I recently uh, went to the doctor and he told me my high, my cholesterol was high, which I guess I'm now hitting that age where that's standard. <laughs> um, I was actually more upset about the fact that I was in that age group than I was about high cholesterol. Like he's talking Funny to me about high works. cholesterol and I was like, <laughs> it's like, I don't care about high cholesterol. You're telling me I'm getting old. Like, no. Um, but he did say, he said like, well, we have these drugs that, you know, here's, you know, you laid out kind of the pathway. And I was like, so these drugs that you laid out, like, if we get to that, like, how do you know they're going to work for me? And he was kind of like, well, we think they will. Right. And so I think that while that's, that helps, it would be much better if we could look at the drug and say, well, Justin, based on your environment, based on your genetics, like this drug is probably going to help you lower your cholesterol faster or better than this drug, right? This drug, you may get these side effects that we want to guard against. So let's use this treatment. Um, and I think having that precision with individuals, while it may take a little bit more time at the beginning, really is going to save uh, time and lives uh, as we go on. Um, and then there's the providers, right? Providers are, are have, you know, they don't have all of this information. So I think if we can make discoveries that can help them um, understand how to use this information, how to work with their patients, I think all around that's going to be, that's going to drive efficiencies in the way we deliver care. But even though I am a numbers guy, like at the bottom of this, it, it, it's about the people and about the care that, that we all receive. And mm -hmm. I think that um, that, that like having the, the recognition and the um, respect of us as individuals, like that I think precision medicine can help drive that. And I think if we can have both kind of the cost efficiencies as well as that, uh, that creation of respect for us as individuals in healthcare, I think we'll be in a much better place. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and and I, I wanted to say that the the difference between the cholesterol and the age is that the cholesterol number can go down and the age just keeps going right. up. So that's, I think the, the central problem, uh, uh there. Yeah. Um, yeah. now beyond, I, I wanted to assess a quick follow-up, which is beyond kind of researchers and providers, what can the general public access either directly from you all, or, you know, if people are interested in checking out this, the research that and studies that are coming out of this, um, how can the general public, uh, check that out? 
Yeah, so we have a website, researchalloofus.org. And on that website, you can, you can see the type of research projects that researchers are doing right now. Um, and, and we will start to have publications coming from that research. So as, as those publications come out, um, we'll be linking to those as well. Um, but importantly, we also have what's called the public data browser. And so um, we have some, uh, uh, some of our data is available and it's at a, 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 a non-identifiable um, aspect that um, folks from the public can go onto the data browser and see the type of um, disease uh, characteristics that we have in the data set. They can see some of the um, some of the other you know demographic data uh, 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 demographic characteristics. Now, right now, we aren't publicly. Uh, there's some demographic characteristics that we're not publicly sharing, and that's because we've been working with the community. Um, to understand the, the pros and cons of sharing that information publicly. And so uh, around LGBTQ folks, we're not sharing a lot of that publicly yet as far as our percentages uh, either of, of LGBTQ folks within different disease uh, characteristics. And, and that's because we're very sensitive to the fact that, that there have been folks that have used that uh, research for negative, uh, in the past, have used that for negative uh, stereotyping of the community. And so we're working with, uh, again, Stanford and other community partners to figure out what's the best way to put that out there and, and when's the right time. So, but this program, uh, one of the things that I really love about this is that we're constantly learning and, and constantly kind of evolving. And so um, if folks are really interested, they can get onto our website. They can, what's, what's there today in a month may be a little different because we continue to get feedback from our partners and we continue to look at how we can make this better and, and more accessible to more people. That's great. Yeah, I think it's it's great that there's so much that's kind of publicly being made available, um, which you know it can be really hard to access this kind of information if you're not working in a research or academic institution. So that's great. Yeah, and Corey, can I just say also, so right now our the researcher workbench where researchers go. That's, that's in beta phase. And, and what that means is that we're, we've launched it. It's got all the security and privacy um, controls in place. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a secure system, but we're also still kicking the tires a little bit from the vantage point of the tools that we have available. So right now, the, the tools available in the researcher workbench are really tools that um, you know, bioinformaticists or um, statisticians, right, they would use. But we're going to be developing and, and bringing on, um, you know, off the shelf type of tools that um, more folks can use. And so as um, time goes on, the researcher workbench will become available to more and more researchers. So whether you're at, you know, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee or you're at Chippewa Valley Tech, um, you know, you, you eventually you're going to be able to meet, uh, to, to get in and use some of the data through that researcher workbench. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important to remember that, you know, it's three years into a, at least a 10 year initiative. So yeah. Right. Great. Well, I'd like to um, open it up to our, our um, LGBT centers again, to see if we have any uh, follow-up questions. I believe we have one um, from, from Jerry. So um, if you want to jump in and, and ask any follow-up questions, uh, that would be great. Hi. Um, yeah, I did have a, a, a follow-up question. You know, Corey was uh, mentioning earlier that we know there are underreported and unrecorded disparities in the way COVID has impacted the LGBTQ community. Uh, similarly, we know that there are some disparities in just health access, healthcare access in the LGBTQ community um, that necessary that that you know don't necessarily have the research that to to back that up. But we know I know it from the clients that I work with, even here in Brooklyn, and the stories that I'm told, and 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 especially our our Black, Indigenous, people of color, and trans community members. Um, you know, as, as I hit on earlier, one of the things that's really special about all of us is just the size and scope and, and the likely impact that this is going to have on biomedical research, but I think also on policy and practice in, in this country. Um, so my question really comes down to when, when this study is complete and 
Uh, I'm, I'm expecting the study is going to show us what we already know, that there is a disparity in healthcare access for LGBTQ folks. Um, you know, how do you hope that that information and, and other information collected is going to be used to improve healthcare access for the LGBTQ plus community? Uh, yeah, Jerry, that's a great question. Um, you know, I would say a couple of things. One is I, I actually hope this study is never complete from the vantage point of I, I really want I really want us in, you know, 75 years, 80 years, 100 years. It, it may be new people that are involved, um, but but I think that if we can keep this going, the, we're going to continue to get insights. Um, and I think that, you know, from my vantage point, you know, data is powerful. And um, I, I think you're right. We all know that there are huge disparities in access to care. Um, and, and you're right, the, the, the research is, there's some research there, but it's, it's not a lot. And I think that if we have more and more data that can show this, um, you know, folks that are in the policymaking world can use that to, to drive change. Um, and so, you know, part of, I think, our goal is to, for the LGBTQ community and for other communities, um, you know, that have been underrepresented is to be able to provide this research, this data to researchers, for researchers to do their research, and then for policymakers to use that research to make decisions that, that help everybody. I mean, it really is, that's part of the reason, um, our, our uh, why we have our name as the All of Us Research Program is because it is about everybody. It's it's really about making sure that um, you know nobody should be left behind in in this uh, country, and especially when it comes to their healthcare. It's such everything we do depends on if we're healthy, and so we need to make sure folks have the the have the access that they need. That's a great answer. Thank you. <clears throat> no, thanks for the question. Great. Well, I have uh, just one more uh, question to ask you before we end, which is um, kind of what's next? What are what are the next steps um, for you and, and for the program? Uh, yeah, well, so, um, you know, for the program, we're, we're a growing program. You know, we officially launched the program in 2016. We started national enrollment in 2018. So we're still young and we're still growing. Um, you know, we're excited to continue, um, uh, you know, our relationships with our community partners. We're looking to form additional relationships with our community partners. Um, we're excited because this year uh, we've started to return results to participants. And so we're starting with um, genetic traits and ancestry, um, and we're going to be continuing that. So one of the goals of the program is that when participants, um, you know, give this donation of their data, that they get information back about it, right? This, this shouldn't be a box where they send us something and then we they never get anything back. And so we're excited that we're able to start that this year with genetic information. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is, you know, we're hopeful that folks continue to wear their masks continue to social distance, continue to wash their hands and get vaccines because then we can really open up in-person enrollment again and, and get back to really getting folks um, in, in, in getting the in-person piece of this program restarted. Um, folks can you know, sign up right now on joinallofus.org um, and, and start the initial pieces of the protocol, um, but we're excited to, to get back in person. Um, and then, I'll just say personally, I, I'm excited because I have two full-time jobs right now. I love both of them, but I really want to bring somebody on um, as a chief engagement officer who, who has the scientific background in this area and can bring us to the next level. It's been a pleasure being able to do this on an acting capacity, but um, we, need, we need somebody with that background to be able to really drive this. Um, and then I'm also excited as as is Luna. So to the the most important part, right? Round out this conversation with talking my dog. Definitely, is, definitely. But she and I have decided. She's just she and I. She decided that we're gonna we're actually making a move. We're moving from uh, from D.C. to Tacoma, Washington, this spring. Um, 
you know, luck, I've been lucky enough uh, in during the pandemic to be able to do my job remotely, which I know a lot of people haven't been. Um, but uh, so I'm able to, to continue doing my job remotely, move out to the Pacific Northwest and follow that dream. And Luna um, is really excited to run around on the beach and, <laughs> and sniff the Pacific Ocean. So she, she's the most excited about this. Yeah, that's de definitely a, a big move, one Washington to the other. Um, but I was going right. to say it's really three full-time jobs because you're, you're, you're a full-time pet parent now, right? Now that you're at home all day. <laughs> yes, yes. Which, and, and I, my heart goes out to anyone who's at home all day, with, with, uh, especially with, with uh, their kids right now, right? Because yeah. the, amount of, um, the amount of work that that takes, and I think, uh, I hope we all come, come away from this with a, an appreciation for what, what our teachers are doing every day, not only educating our youth, but also um, handling them. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, you know, as we wrap up here, you did uh, you did plug joinallofus.org, which I also want to plug for folks who want to learn more about getting involved. Um, we can all be part of ending uh, the inequities that our communities face by by participating. So I think that's really important. And um, also want to plug lgbtcenters.org, which is the Centerlink website. So if folks are looking to, to find out more about their local center, um, that's a great way to do it. So um, on, on that uh, pluggy kind of note, um, thanks so much, Justin, for taking the time uh, away from Luna and, and your two uh, NIH jobs to talk with us today. It's been really fun. Thank you, Corey. It's been a pleasure and it's been great to meet all of the folks from your centers. And I really thank you for your partnership and for the, the work you all are doing for our program and just for, for LGBTQ communities in general. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. The more that we can do together, the, the, the sooner that we can work towards uh, ending the, the inequities and, and disparities that we're facing. So great to, great to have this partnership. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast special edition. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can hear our weekly LGBT wellness news roundups. So I hope that you will subscribe if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.